In this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, a slight change. There is no Gareth. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed, a slightly different format today. I'm your host, Zog, and with me is Alex Goy. Hello. And there is no Gareth. He has other stuff going on. He's doing life things, and, and yeah, so he's very, very busy and sends his deepest, darkest apologies, but he's, uh, yeah, he's up to his elbows in boxes at the moment. Yeah. Or at least yeah. that's what he says. So here we are, keeping on, keeping on, and we both thought it'd be interesting to just have a little chat today about revivals, really. Um, yes. Everything old is new again. Apologies yes. to Bob Fosse, because you were very excited as were other people, about the Renault 5. And it seems like we should have a little chat about that and then, you know, about some of the other revived... Other things that we could yeah, do or that revivals. could be revived. Yeah, so, so um, the Renault 5 is one of the most exciting cars of 2024. Even the police agree as they go past my house. Uh, <laughs> thanks, crime. Um yeah, the Renault 5 is one of the most exciting cars of 2024. It was going to be one of the most exciting uh, cars of 2024 when it was unveiled a couple of years ago because it looks like the old Renault 5, but it's electric and it's got sort of modern bits on it. It was unveiled at the Geneva Motor Show, which is going on right now. Uh, and is, uh, it, yeah, just uh, the, the less you look at the coverage of it, the better, because it just looks sad, frankly. It does, yeah. It looks really sad, a shadow of its former self. But they reckon in Europe it's going to be €25,000 to start with. Whether or not we get it for that cheap, I don't really know. But it's going to come with two batteries, one a 40 kilowatt hour pack, one a 52 kilowatt hour pack. It's about 1,400 kilos-ish at its lightest. Which yeah, there are two engine good. options. Yeah, there's Two a, there's engine a... options. I'm just looking for them now. Three motor outputs. 94 horse, 121 or 148. 0.62 in less than eight seconds. They say the lowest range it'll get is 186, but it could do 250. So they say, and depending on what you get, it'll have a 100 kilowatt hour fast charge which isn't too bad it's not the best but it's also not the worst i've had slower charging cars it's kind of sitting firmly in that if you need one car this can do everything quite well camp i mean it's not going to be a massive long distance cruiser unless you've got loads of time on your hands and fast charge everywhere but if you have it just to pot around town in and do your commuting and then plug it in at home and occasionally need to nip up to see your mum 100 miles away, it can do it and it won't complain about it too much. Um, yeah, it's like, a, you know, a, a good, sensible, small car. Um, yeah. And, I mean, the, the first thing that struck me about it really was how close it was to the original concept. Very often we see a really interesting, elegant, good-looking, intriguing concept from a manufacturer... And then a couple of years later, when we see the real thing, the production version, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's close, but it's a little disappointing. They seem yeah, to really done well. Yeah, I mean, normally concepts and then their production models, it looks like someone tried to draw the concept from memory and that's not great. But this, it looks properly good and it's coming in five colours, apparently. So there's black and white, yawn, there's a navy blue, but there's also one of the greenest greens I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, that's a sparkly metallic green. The, yes. Uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good look, I think. 
It's a very good look. And then there's this yellow, which was kind of the concept colour, and it just looks mega. There are a few little bits that went missing from the concept, like the Perspex Sticky Outy 5 bits, and the, the odd thing here and there, bang on. But the strange thing is, I remember when I was a kid, the Renault 5 was an old car. The Clio yeah. was around, and we were on that sort of blobby Clio at that point. So Clio two and a bit. Um, it was it wasn't the blobby one, but it was it was the blobby one with pointy bits on it. So yeah, the second gen, and the Renault five was just this naff old thing that you had as a first car maybe or like people had one and it it didn't really mean that much and then the new one came out it's amazing because it's properly cool is it mostly the aesthetics that got you so excited because it's yes um, yeah yeah when it comes to evs especially small evs i think a lot of the industry suffers from this well it needs to be a small aerodynamic egg and if it's not an egg then we're in trouble and everything is bad Whereas this at least has deliberately stylized, they've bought a little bit of the old school back, which will appeal to older buyers, but also younger buyers for whom retro is everything. This reminds me weirdly of, it was what, turn of the century or middle of the aughts, where everyone just went, you know what, we're going to make cars that look like old cars. So the Mini came back, the Fiat 500 came back, the Mustang started looking like an old Mustang. And they all, yeah. everything just looked a bit. There was the, the PT Cruiser, you know, the, um, the the Prowler. Those, you know, even that. Well, the, okay, although that's not really quite the same as a Mini Rod. No, but there's the same. You know, let's do a retro thing. Yes. Let's look to the past for our design inspiration for this new model. Yeah, let's go back and enjoy it a little bit. I mean, there's there's some neat details. Like the interior is really cool. The thing I really love though is you can option Ooh. in a baguette holder. I was a going to baguette holder. <laughs> I, I know I, I I absolutely love that. Now, I mean, strictly speaking, I guess you could probably put that baguette holder in another vehicle. I couldn't see quite how it was mounted. You know, I think it's um, a clip that like goes onto the center console thing, and it, it starts to look all jazzy and stuff. It's a little detail that I mean. It's kind of silly, but it's wonderful. You know, you could put yeah, or, other uses. Or a bottle of wine, if it was thin. A bottle of wine. Yeah, there you go. St- or lots of those tiny stubby beers that seem to have gone from supermarkets. You mentioned the interior. Yeah, no, it's a very good-looking interior beyond mm-hmm. the uh, baguette holder. That sort of lovely <laughs> denim thing they've got going on. Yeah. The design department done a great job with that. Yeah. You know, one I... or two things that I wasn't quite as sure about, but yeah. did, mostly the... Just on the bonnet, because while I think they've reflected very well a lot of the classic elements of the Renault 5, you know, the the squareness of the headlights, the the general shape, in trying to do something with that little sort of bonnet vent, they've put an illuminated 5 in that location. It just looks a bit... I mean, it's not really doing... That doesn't work for me. It's just, you know... The the idea behind it, it's it's to mirror the old, like, heat outlet from the bonnet, and now it will show you charge status and things like that. It's one of those sort of big old visual indicators see just how charged up your motor is. Like, all EVs have it in some way, shape or form, at least all the ones I've driven, where your car's plugged in outside, you can have a quick look through the window and see, right, it's on 60% or 80%. It's like a vague thing. I see why they've done it. I like it. But again, each to their own, I think. But I, I adore it. But this did get me thinking. I mean, it got us thinking, really. What else is going to be the darling EV of the future or the darling car of the future? In so 20 what... years, are we going to lose our minds because they're bringing out a Clio EV? <laughs> yeah. Will we, in 20 years' time, be seeing a lot of revivals of current generations of vehicles i suspect not okay i've got two kind of competing thoughts here on the one hand there's 
this thought that partly because we're in this period when electrification is allowing manufacturers to create new vehicles and they are kind of reaching back into the past to imbue these vehicles with properties, with a cachet, with an appeal that draws on past glory. And if Mm. you're a company like Renault, you can do that. If you're a newer Chinese manufacturer, sure, you can't do that. But if you've got a heritage, why not exploit it? Yeah. But exploit it well. Exploiting it well is the key because, you know, you can have a manufacturer goes, oh, well, we've put this name on this completely different car. I mean, Ford's kind of experiencing that with the Mach-E because it's, oh, it's a Mustang. And then Mustang people are going, Mustang is not. But as far as Ford's concerned, it imbues bits of Mustang-ness. But then Mini kind of did it properly because it went, here is the Mini hatch. And then it's grown the range to fit around it. And the argument I always have with people about Mini is, they go, oh, it's a BMW Mini. It's not a proper Mini, is it? And you think, well, no. But at this point, the proper Mini has been out of production for you know nearly 25 years, quarter of a century. And the new Mini has been going on and on and on and on and on and on. And Mini itself has become not just a Mini, it's Mini, it's its own brand, its own thing, it's this aspirational thing. And now when people get out of the Mini hatch, they want something a bit bigger. If they still like Minis, Mini wants to keep them. So they've sort of had to, whether or not there'll be a Renault 5, I don't know, MPV or something like that. But there will be a Renault 4. There will be a sort of lifted oh, okay, thing really? based on the okay. same platform as this, which is mega. That'll well be interesting. Yeah, no, that, that should do well. But, OK, now the Mini that you mentioned, now mm. that, that, I think that's clearly, I think, the best success story of a model revival in the contemporary era. Yeah. Now, if we compare it to, let's say, the VW Beetle, the new yes. Beetle, which faded away, it was launched about the same time. What is it that makes one of those work so well and makes the other, in the end, and also round? It wasn't a flop. It wasn't a it flop. Did, it, no, wasn't, it wasn't a flop. It wasn't but an it was... excellent car. It was sort of an, an, a, a styling exercise, I guess. It was a golf underneath, wasn't it? Because VW had that platform. Right. It had yeah. all the bits and the toys, and they did loads of cool stuff with it. And I think VW tried to say, well, we're still VW. We're the VW that made the Beetle. Look at this, where there's a guitar edition, and there's a denim edition, and there's a this edition, that edition. Here's the convertible. Isn't it great? But you went to see the Beetle, and you saw the Beetle next to a Golf and a People Carrier and a Sharan and a Passat, whereas Mini was its own identity. You didn't go to a BMW dealership. Well, you did go to BMW dealership, but you didn't go to the BMW dealership and then in the corner was just one solitary Mini and people going, yeah, this is the exciting mm. thing, look at the party. Right next door to the BMW place, either, you know, attached to the building or one over, there is a mini dealership that does mini stuff and everyone's dressed differently. It's it's a whole different feel to it. The environment around it was so different. And the mini brand itself, because it was allowed to be its own brand and its own thing, it wasn't tucked away next to a 3 Series and next to an X5. It had right. the mini hatch which looked like a mini, sort of, uh, a modern mini, and it had mini hallmarks, and it embraced fun. And then, as time went on, there was the countryman and the clubman, and they all did the mini thing, but they were always surrounded in their own world. There was no kind of headline going, oh, well, uh, BMW Mini does this, BMW Mini does that. It's the Mini Cooper, or the Mini Hatch, or the Mini Countryman. But VW, I guess, it, it... the environment that it introduced the Beetle into 
and the culture as well. Because if you're, you know, the, the Beatle itself, I mean, I wasn't there at the time as much as I regret it, but the Beatle itself, along with the Mini, they were small, cheap, and they got people round. They lasted forever. They did all the things. They weren't this difficult thing that modern, uh, I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but modern cars are now, where you know, there's servicing schedules and you can't do it yourself and bits are really expensive. And you know, with Beatles and Minis, like my old man had loads of Minis. And he said, well, yeah, when one broke, you just bought another one for 100 quid, took the bits off and took the rest back to the scrappy. You know, that's mm. what you did. Whereas yeah. you couldn't really do that. You know, you take your Beetle into a VW dealership and there's a man in a, in a shirt and a tie and he's very efficient and everything's very, very VW-y. Uh, Mini, because it was given its own identity, I think, at least that's my working theory, feel free to write in. It's uh, Gareth at garethjones.speed.whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Complain to him. But I think... Uh, yeah, it's it's because it was allowed to be its own thing rather than a kind of nod to the past in an otherwise modern and quite dowdy mm. environment. The new Mini was also designed really for, you know, from scratch as yes. a new vehicle rather than being, as you say, based on the Golf. Yeah, as, it, was, it wasn't the a Golf. Was. Was. VW didn't yeah. have its, uh, sorry, did, did that didn't hamp- have its own front Did that drive. hamper the Beetle? It's based on that other thing over there, and maybe I want that other thing over there that's yeah, got a more it's, genuine expression of that thing. It's, or, it, it's or, based or, or on that, that thing over there, the and it's less practical because the roof line's silly, so there's less space. Yeah. And it's oh, it's got a. I exactly. didn't, they, didn't it come with a little vase that you could have on the dash? Like oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah, but it's got the same switches from the Golf over there, mm. and mm, it, it's it's a bit odd, but. To kind of bring it back to Renault, that does make me wonder, because Renault at the moment, what's its lineup? It's got the Clio, you've got the Megane E-Tech, which is a Megane, but electric. You've got the Arcana sort of SUV coupe. There's another SUV coming. There's a Scenic, which is an SUV, I think. It's like everything's SUV shaped apart from Clio, soon to be Renault 5 and Megane, but Megane's quite chunky because it's got a big old battery pack in it. The Zoe is going the way of the Dodo because the Renault 5 will do the Zoe's job. Yeah, um, yeah. So I wonder how hard Renault's going to commit to this bit because, as I said, VW didn't really commit to it. It just went, this is VW, here is a Golf, here is a Beetle, isn't one zany, ooh. Whereas Renault might have that problem to start with, at least. It goes, right, well, here's the Renault 5. Isn't it exciting and fun? And you can have it in green. And over there is an Arcana SUV. And you can have it in a sort of orangey colour. And isn't that sensible and very French and this and that and this and that and this and that. The, with the 4 coming up and whatever they choose to do with the 5 and the 4 and whether they're going to expand on that and whether this sort of retro-futuristic design language is then going to become what Renault does and then that becomes cohesive or will they try to do the VW thing and go, well, here's the fun one in the corner. Have the fun one. Isn't it great? So I, mm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious to see what they do. Because other than the fact that the 4 is coming, I've heard nothing. So we look forward to a road test of the new 5. Mm-hmm. But let's just uh, speculate a little bit. If you were to pick one other beloved old vehicle to revive in this way, what would your pick be? Because I have another French vehicle in mind that I wouldn't uh, mm. mind seeing an electric age interpretation of, which is the De Chavaux. You know, I think the old Citroën De Chavaux, that wonderfully basic, crude, but effective 
and brilliant vehicle. You know, I would I would like so to see kind you know, of like an Ami, but better. Well, yeah, I mean, you see, yeah, you say that, but actually, yeah, but a vehicle, I mean, something like the Ami, maybe that is the electric equivalent of the Dishavaux. Maybe that is what you do. Although the Dishavaux, you can get a family of four in, not the quite Ami, so easy in your Ami. Not going to happen. Just absolutely not going to happen. <laughs> If Bugatti was to get into the pure EV uh, game, let's have a revival of the Type 35. Well, you I can, all, you can kind of get one of those. The little car company does a Type 35, but it's £45,000. Yeah, and it's, well, yeah, and it's not really... Yeah. Mm. You, oh, you it, it'd be a lot of fun. Two people cool. in it, but you have to be very good friends. So on a more practical note, what else could we revive from the last 20 or 30 years of history? You know what I think would do really nicely as an EV? An Audi A2. Ooh. Mm, Lightweight, aero, practical... And if you remember how yeah. the A2 was, you know, it was, it was quite tall anyway, so you can fit a nice little slab of batteries underneath it. And it yeah. would do quite neatly as, say, the tender to a Q8 or an RS6 or something like that. If you're a two-car family where you need one that can do all the distance and does all the things, but one to, you know, do short commutes or school trips or whatever, that could work quite nicely, actually. Does Audi benefit from the same kind of drawing on that heritage or are they a mark whose appeal is kind of more to do with doing a contemporary engineering thing well maybe mm. you know it's a, no you're right there perhaps i just want my own electrified which, a2 which is fine which is fine <laughs> why should we stop you I, I i wonder whether you might have gone for um an aston was the was the one that came to mind i mean like so, some sort of well i mean the the next vantage is a is a big old v8 and i'm going to next time i see them i'm going to ask the question of and um um, can I have one? Well, other than can I have one, it's like, so where, where's all this electrification stuff happening? When's that appearing? I mean, hmm. Aston has the problem that if it goes back to its past, it will just be accused of trying to be an old school Bond car. If they did hmm. it, it would look like one of those David Brown automotive speedbacks, which yeah. which kind of looks like as though Playmobil had designed a DB5, which is fine because Playmobil's great, but it's not necessarily the best thing in the world. So... Perhaps not an Aston. What about, oh, ah, mm, a Lamborghini 4000 GT or 3500 GT? That would be cool. Oh, that would be, yeah. Uh, and it's been a few years since the new Cinquecento, so, mm-hmm. you know, Italy needs to get back into the, the retro electric game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the 500E Lamborghini, is bring a it couple on. of years old. The Abarth 500 is, Ababa 500E is... It came out last year, I think, and it's I haven't yeah. seen any, so... <laughs> but, you know, yeah. something like that would be big, and then you can fit stuff in it. So maybe Lamborghini should be next to jump into the e-vehicle revival game. With that, I'm going to run away, because you're about to talk about Formula One, and I don't know anything about it. Yes, Stevie has just popped up, and so we're going to do a little handover. We'll let you go, Alex. Uh, lovely to see you Hi, again. bye, and friends. Chat. Bye. <laughs> and welcome, Stevie. Thank you. It's uh, lovely to be here. What a lovely surprise. Thank you for inviting me to join you today. Good to have you back. And we're in a, an exciting moment in between the end of Formula One testing and the first race. 
Or is it exciting? How excited are you about this F1 season? Right now, I'm struggling to contain myself. I really am. The, The anticipation is simply enormous. Until perhaps, you know, we get kind of a few laps into the first race Saturday. But at this point in time, I feel that anything is possible. Well, you're an optimist. I know, I know. At the start of every season, because of the changes, there can be big shakeups. You know, teams can make enormous strides forward. The evidence doesn't suggest there's going to be a huge change from last year, I think, from what we've seen so far. But it is. It's only testing. It's only testing. So, you know, right now I'm very excited and I'm looking forward to some tremendous racing. I share your Formula One withdrawal rebound. I'm excited (laughs) for the first race. I'm not quite as excited for this season as I have been for some of the recent uh, seasons, I think, because honestly, it just, you know, it looks like it's going to be a bit too similar to last year. Not enough has changed. You know, we, we had a sudden dump of dramatic news with Hamilton deciding to go to Ferrari. And on a less positive note, the uh, investigation into Christian Horner, which we're expecting to hear uh, the result of in the next maybe 24 hours. But as of this recording, we haven't heard anything about that. But the driver lineups are the same. The rules haven't changed. So the teams are working within the same set of regulations. And it seems from testing like, well, Red Bull were so good they didn't even bother trying you know they <laughs> they weren't quickest in testing because they didn't try they had everything turned down they yeah. were um uh, you know ferrari has been quickest because they were trying but yeah it doesn't bode well for everybody else you know it looks very much like red bull are going to run away with it certainly yeah the evidence we have does suggest that not much has changed from last year but you just don't know until we kick off and I'm just hoping, well, I'm just hoping that Red Bull aren't too good, really, because I think behind Red Bull, I think it's going to be interesting again. I think, you know, the challenge between Mercedes and Ferrari, but also with McLaren and and Aston Martin, I think that, you know, those four teams are are fairly evenly matched still. And I think there's going to be some fantastic racing. I hope you're right about Aston Martin. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. It looks like they've probably improved their straight line speed which was something that Alonso was unhappy with last year. So if they've improved that and they've otherwise put a decent car together, yeah, maybe it looks like they are behind that triumvirate of best of the rest, Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes. But, you know, that is very much looking like the end of last year. It is, but but remember, again, even you know, at the end of last year, you know, Ferrari were competitive. They really were. You know, they weren't beating Red Bull, but they were closer to Red Bull. So perhaps that's going to continue. Well, Ferrari need to improve their race performance because what did they get? Seven pole positions last year, but only one win, which yeah. is, uh, yeah, you, you need a better conversion rate. But we do have more races this year 24 races. So maybe that gives more. Well, I was going to say, maybe that gives more time for 
teams to develop the cars, but then maybe you're spending more time travelling between races and actually it's putting more strain on the team, so it's harder to develop the car in a 24-race season. I don't know. But, I mean, again, you know, last year, there were significant changes. You know, remember the kind of upgrades that happened during the course year, you know, and they, they did have significant impacts on performance, I mean, as, as, as they often do. Uh, sometimes not quite so positive. I mean, I remember, you know, particularly for Aston Martin, who started so well. Yeah, they were so promising. Started, so yeah. promising. Yeah, they, were, yeah. they were fantastic. And, and that was very, very exciting to see Alonso really competing. Um, but it was a shame that, that their upgrades were, you know, were certainly not as effective as, as the other teams. Yeah. So give me two or three things that you would like to see happen this year. What would be your aspirations? I would like to see... Red Bull winning fewer races than last year. That's, I think, my first and main aspiration, I guess. I would love to see Lewis competing at the front. I'm not so confident about that, particularly given that he's leaving at the end of the season. I still can't work out how that's going to kind of pan out over the course of this season. Uh, Perhaps it'll make him more competitive and more determined to, to really be great in this last season. Uh, what else? I, I, I think Lando would be great. I, I'm, I'm excited to see Ricardo in the in the RB. I think that's interesting. And certainly he was good to watch last week in testing. What are we calling that team? Cash, Visa, RB? I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to call it. No. On the Lewis front, I think, I think he's going to deliver 100%. I think he's going to be completely committed. Sure, towards the end of the season, he's bound to be shut out of conversations. He won't have yeah. the access to data that Russell has. But he will be committed and... Mercedes are going to want to give him a good car. So there's no reason why he shouldn't finish third again this year, I think. I'm saying third because, you know, the Red Bull is going to be the quickest car. Sure, Perez is going to have another tough time racing against Max, but he's going to have the quickest car. He'll be second in the championship, I'm sure. Yes, no, I I wouldn't bet against you. I wouldn't bet against you. Ferrari, you know... so hoping that they're competitive and again you know last week in testing they looked okay they looked pretty good Leclerc I think again is I, I hope he's going to step up a bit um, I feel for science I, I, I um you know, yeah, kind of, I with the prospect yeah. of, of you know losing the seat at the end of the year kind of that can't be so motivating for him so I'd be surprised if he performs this year but we'll see we'll see these guys are professionals um, they're paid a lot of money and they should be doing their best always OK, just to wrap up, if we look towards the back of the field, Mm-mm. who's going to come in last this year? It's going to be Haas or Alpine. I th- Alpine can't, I don't think Alpine can beat Haas to that. For the wooden spoon? Wooden spoon trophy performance. I, I think Alpine, again, I think there is potential in that car. The, the Haas, I, I, yeah, it's slow. It's really slow, isn't I'll it? I'll make a slightly risky prediction here. Haas, I, how can I possibly... This is no... But, has to beat Alpine. Wow. Magnussen was sounding a little bit confident. The Alpine didn't look very sorted in testing. Seems a bit on the heavy side. Because we can't make interesting predictions about the front. (laughs) You're going to make it at the back. So I'm going to say Alpine will be the big losers this year. Uh, Haas will be barely adequate in ninth. But this Saturday we get to find out how good our guesswork is. Stevie, thank you for joining us. Lovely to see you. Um, Such a pleasure. 
I look forward to uh, to watching some F1 with you later this year. Can't wait. Uh, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Bye. If you enjoyed the show, then please like and subscribe. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, read some lyrics, follow us on social media, or to sponsor the podcast, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wiesbank.